What is going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Today, I'm going to get into two specific topics that have been repeatedly asked to me over and over again. So I really want to just dive into these and set the record straight, give as much value and information on these two specific things because I've been just repeatedly asked about them and they can actually be really confusing. And inside training, inside program design, these two things get brought up so much. These two things get discussed and these two things are so confused inside of coaches and clients' minds. So I really want to touch on those and kind of uh, set the record straight and give you guys value so you understand them when you leave this podcast. But before I do, I want to bring up FIT, Functional Intensity Training, real quick, and just show you guys what people are actually saying about this program, which just launched on Monday. So we are coming to the final days of the sale. This is important, guys, because the price is going to go up 30% after this weekend. So you definitely want to jump on this as soon as possible. The link is in the show notes, or you can head over to fit.boomboomperformance.com. But Let's look at what Adam said first. He just left a comment on the picture of FIT, and he said, my body has felt beat up lately, and I was starting to lose my motivation in the gym, so I knew it was time to switch things up. I had already been thinking about trying a full-body workout program when Cody announced this program, so I've been eagerly waiting for it. Two days in, my motivation is back, and I am feeling great. The workouts are challenging, really fun, and I leave the gym feeling accomplished. The program is versatile, and I love that I can be flexible with my schedule. Great work, as always. Thank you, Adam. I'm pumped that you jumped on it. Uh, For the record, I know a little bit about Adam. He was following a muscle gain program. He was uh, targeting growth for a while. This was a great change of pace for him because he was targeting hypertrophy. He was doing a lot of upper lower style splits. After a while, your joints can get beat up. Your nervous system can get beat up. And your body loses sensitization to that hypertrophy or the high volume stimulus. So it's good to switch things up. Do a full body program, train for strength, train for performance, improve your conditioning. And when you come back to that style of hypertrophy, high volume, upper, lower split, bodybuilding style training, your body is going to respond so much better. So I love programs like FIT to kind of throw in the middle of a long-term periodization scale, whether you're targeting fat loss or muscle gain, because it really does kind of shock the system and give you something so different um, that's going to improve your future results tremendously and you're going to improve your conditioning your recovery your nervous system and your range of motion your flexibility with this program so i find this program such a good supplemental program for any other goal whether you're chasing performance fat loss or muscle gain after a while you you need a drastic change of pace in order to stimulate your body and further the results you're seeing and fit is perfect for that Um, so i'm really glad adam jumped on this because i do know a little bit about him Tina was one of the beta programmers, so I wanted to mention what she said because she actually ran through the whole entire program. She's looking ripped. Um, I posted a picture of her testimonial, and her upper back looks insane, Um, upper backs and triceps. Cody is a trusted resource in the fitness community. His program helped me eliminate achy elbows, gain strength in the major lifts, increase endurance, and add muscle. I left each session feeling accomplished and never beat up or overwhelmed. The trifecta, less pain, better aesthetic results, and never feeling beat up. 
she felt accomplished. I love that testimonial. I'm super excited she wrote that for me because my goal with this program was to improve performance, improve strength, improve the feeling of being in the gym, improve aesthetics, so on and so forth, all the things we all want. But most importantly, I wanted people to have fun. Like she left feeling accomplished. She said that she had a lot of fun with the program. And that was one of my goals is like bringing fun back into training. Eric left a very long testimonial and I'm pumped that he did because it's very detailed. Cody's latest program, FIT, is intelligently designed and highly effective at accelerating results no matter what the goal is, strength, fat loss, or performance. In short, it is one of the best all-around programs I have ever experienced, and that is saying a lot as I have 19 years of training experience. Wow, holy shit. I eagerly looked forward to each workout. And the variation in movement patterns slash exercises keeps things fresh and exciting. I was even surprised that with the higher volume, I never felt under-recovered or beat up. In just eight weeks, I have shed five pounds of body fat, made noticeable enhancements in my physique, and have improved multiple aspects of my anaerobic anaerobic capacity. I have no doubt in my mind that if you commit to this program, you will be successful. Eric's been in the game for a while. He is in the industry. He is the coach himself. Super happy with that testimonial. I'm really excited that he was one of the beta testers. And I'm really excited that he went all in on this program. He did have his nutrition dialed in. I wasn't doing it for him, but he was monitoring his nutrition. So when he said he lost five pounds of body fat, I'm not going to try to snake skin or snake salesman you guys and, and claim that it's just the program. He did watch his nutrition. However, what I will say is this is one of the best programs to improve your performance while losing body fat, which can be counterintuitive in some senses. But the way that this the variation is set up inside of this program and the way that we utilize all the energy systems, it's damn near impossible to not get leaner while truly going through this program the way it's designed to go. Um, and on top of that, he improved his conditioning. He improved his training. Super happy with that. Um, and that's the last one I'm going to read for you guys because I don't want to spend a ton of time on this podcast just reading testimonials and reviews of the program. But I wanted to share those notes because these we're running into the final days of the sale for this program. Um, and then it jumps up 30%. So I want you guys to get the insight on what it is all about. If you have questions, you can email me, Cody at BoomBoomPerformance.com. Otherwise, guys, go to the page. You can go to fit.boomboomperformance.com, check the link in the show notes, go learn about the program, see if it's right for you, jump into it, and spend eight weeks getting to your fittest version of yourself. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to this episode. So the first thing I want to bring up is actually just an update for you guys. Um, On Wednesday this week, we launched a new video. We're going to be doing this series, and I really want you guys to go check this out. I really want your guys' feedback, and I want to just know... What you want to see next, uh, that's the reason I do all this stuff. So the series is actually going to be really cool. I'm, I'm super excited about it because it's somewhat vlog style, just the way we filmed it. But it's it's going to be very informative, and we're going to change it um, every time we film these uh, videos for these series. I don't know what I'm calling the video yet, the video series yet. Um, and I probably should know that because it's technically while I'm recording this, it airs tomorrow. So by the time you listen to this, it would have already been titled and it's already on my YouTube and I will be linking it in the show notes. Uh, it'll be on Facebook as well. But basically it is is a full training program. So you're actually going to watch me take you through. Uh, this one was a full upper body training program because right now my lower body exercises and Workouts are pretty fucking boring since I have one gimp knee going through this rehab, which is going quite well, uh, but I'm still very limited on what I can do. 
But the the I, I literally take you through a whole program. So you watch me go through every single movement, and I explain with voiceovers while I'm going through these movements exactly what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, why we're programming the way we're programming, uh, the movement cues. I even put notes in there so you know – uh, what to do as far as how to grip, how to set up, how to focus on joint uh, retraction or elevation, depending on what movement pattern we're doing. Like very, very detailed coaching cues, very, very detailed voiceover, like diving into everything. And then I actually give you the program. So inside the description, you can literally steal the program and go do it for yourself after have watching me do it and take you through it. So now you can do it at the most optimal way. So I really want you guys to go check this out because I think one of the things that I'm really trying to do with my content is bring as much individualized coaching or as much uh, detailed coaching as I possibly can bring into it, into it, which is hard to do in a video. It's hard to do in a podcast. And obviously I do the best I can, but I think this is going to be the next level up of what I can do. Uh, so we're doing two series. One of them is going to be this training series where every other week I'm going to be bringing you a new training program and I'm going to take you through it. You get to watch me do the movements and you get to listen to me guide you through it. And then you get to actually take the program for free. So I'm actually giving you the workout completely free. So make sure you go check this out. Make sure you go like it on YouTube and Facebook if you guys enjoy this stuff. I'm going to drop all the links in the show notes. I really just want your feedback on it because we are trying to develop a new series inside of our uh, video content, which means that we're going to do multiple of these in the future and I want to repeat this style if you guys enjoy this so I can keep bringing you more and more workouts more and more coaching more and more videos more and more content that's going to help you get better and achieve your body composition or performance goals the other video series is not out yet but it's going to be a nutrition series and I'm going to call it I believe uh science meets application or science applied or uh literature meets practicality or practical science. I'm going to figure out a way to do it. But basically what I want to do is take science and show you how to apply it. So there's a lot of research. There's a lot of science. And and this is actually going to lead perfectly into the first topic I want to talk about, which is volume inside of training. Um, There's a lot of science out there. There's a lot of good studies going on. um, And I love digging into them. It's something that just fascinates me. And for as long as I can remember, I would spend a Friday night reading Examine or PubMed or Mass Research Review or Alan Aragon's Research Review, Um, as lame as that sounds to some people, but I just love diving into the research. The problem with this is is research doesn't always favor practicality, right? Application in theory, application in literature are two completely different things in some scenarios. Now, there are very many scenarios where – the science directly applies to what we're doing. For example, studies show 48 to 72 hours is the minimum amount of time of overfeeding, so refeeding or eating at maintenance levels or higher, in order to elicit hormonal changes in the body, whether we're talking about ghrelin, leptin, metabolism, testosterone, thyroid, all these things that we're trying to stimulate by staying at maintenance level. That is a scientific research study. That is a a piece of literature that is very applicable because I can give a client a three-day refeed and know that I'm going to directly see metabolic improvements from doing that every so often. Now, if you do a three-day refeed every 16 weeks, you can't really expect too much to happen. However, if I do a three-day refeed every other week, I can expect – Uh, a decline in metabolic adaptation, so a positive outcome that comes from that. That's a great example of literature actually applying. There is also literature that doesn't always match up perfectly. Uh, A good example of this, uh, let's see, would be 
carb cycling, or no, uh, even better, because uh, carb cycling can be a Actually, carb cycling is a good example. So I'm going to use two examples. I'll use carb cycling first. Carb cycling is a good example of when science doesn't always pan out to practicality or what application inside of coaching is successful application of coaching, I should say, is. Carb cycling has been known as something that is going to kind of trick your body into building muscle and burning fat. Why? Because carbs equal better performance. Better performance equals more volume. More volume can potentially equal more muscle growth. Also, carbs have a direct influence on getting a better pump, um, having uh, better strength, faster recovery. It's muscle protein. It's protein sparing, so it's going to help muscle protein synthesis. There's a lot of reasons why carbs lead to more muscle growth. So if we have high-carb days on training days, low-carb days on on rest days, we're probably going to burn fat, build muscle, right? Not always the case because on a weekly basis, it's all about caloric balance. So if you equate weekly caloric intake, it doesn't matter whether you carb cycle or not for a few reasons. Number one, if your caloric balance is main at maintenance, surplus, deficit, whatever, that's what's going to lead to your result. So if you're carb cycling, great. But if you're still in a weekly deficit, you're not going to build muscle. Because you cannot build muscle in a deficit. It's damn near impossible unless you are taking uh, enhancement drugs so like steroids or if you are a newbie in the gym, so on and so forth. There's very rare scenarios where we can do this. Um, there's some rare scenarios with body recomp in that case too. Like me right now, I'm in the process of probably recomping a little bit. But the reality is is I just haven't been training the same way. I haven't even trained my legs in eight weeks. I'm going to quote-unquote build muscle and burn some fat at the same time, but really it's muscle memory. It's kind of a recomp, kind of not, uh, but that's besides the point. So if your weekly caloric balance is equated, it doesn't matter if you carb cycle, and they've shown this in studies. One group carb cycles, one group does not. If both groups have equated calories, there's no difference in result. Another thing to consider is when we have a low-carb day the day before a heavy training day, especially if that training is happening in the earlier part of the day, even just before noon, we're kind of negating the whole purpose of having carbs for workout because the process of digestion, absorption, and then storage of carbohydrates as glucose and muscle glycogen takes time. It's a process. So it's not a matter of, oh, I had a high carb breakfast. I'm going to have tapped out glycogen stores and have more muscle glycogen for my workout and build more muscle. The reality is, is last night, what I ate for dinner is probably what's going to be my main fuel source for this morning's workout, right? So if you're training late at night, can carb cycling work? Possibly because you have all day to put carbs in your body from morning till evening until you train at night. Um, But again, we have to go back to the simple fact is if you're in a surplus, you're going to gain muscle. If you're in a deficit, you're going to lose weight, plain and simple. Um, So it kind of negates it. However, Carb cycling can be great if it helps you build adherence. So if I have high-carb days and low-carb days, and that allows me to better adhere to the calorie deficit I'm following or the calorie surplus I'm following, then I'm going to lead to better results. A good example of this would be uh, if somebody has a struggle staying within 150 grams of carbs every single day, but they could easily manage to be really low, let's say 75 grams a day, twice twice a week while having more freedom to hit, like, say, 200 grams of carbs more days throughout the week, even if that is five days, four days, whatever it may be. The point is, is if adherence is better because you have high-carb and low-carb days, then carb cycling is great for you. It's not really because of what science shows, because science shows that it doesn't matter, but adherence is application, right? 
caloric balance is science. Um, and I know I'm, I'm ranting on these explanations, but I want you guys to have some context before I go into this. Um, Another good example is carb backloading. So there was a lot of studies when this came out, and this was like a big thing with Eat, Stop, Eat. There was a book on that, which is kind of like intermittent fasting. And then a big thing with John uh, – I want to say it was – is it John Kiefer? I believe it's John Kiefer. But he came out with a book, and it's all about carb backloading. Um, and basically the whole premise was is you don't eat carbs all day. You eat all your carbs at night after your workout, and it's supposed to stimulate more fat loss. It's supposed to uh, kind of zone in on this anabolic window, so on and so forth. And it wasn't the case. A lot of the studies were actually flawed and they were debunked over time, especially because a lot of them were in rats, which we can only do so much about. But the reality was is what this did was not what he believed it did with insulin um, because it wouldn't matter if you ate your carbs in the evening, if you ate them in the middle of the day, if you ate them in the morning. If people have poor insulin sensitivity, there was a benefit of having one insulin spike every day versus having multiple insulin spikes throughout the day because of multiple feedings of carbohydrates. So it was less about having carbs in your evening window. It was more about having carbs in one bolus each day versus throughout the day, right? So there is a difference in this. Um, the other part of that is it allows people to adhere better for some people. This basically manages your carbohydrates throughout the day a little bit better, which is inherently going to manage your calories day-to-day better, and then it comes back to that caloric balance thing. So was the science completely accurate? Not always, but from adherence and from some other indirect reasons, was it applicable? Absolutely. So it kind of is person-to-person. The reason I'm saying all this is because in my new nutrition video series, what I want to do is take these studies and show you where they are applicable. So we can take carb cycling. We can take carb backloading. We can take ketogenic diets. We can take intermittent fasting. We can take uh, metabolic flexibility. We can take macros as a whole. We can take so many different concepts, protein, carbohydrates, whatever we want to talk about. And if you guys have ideas or questions on supplementation and nutrition, please shoot me an email, Cody at boomboomperformance.com. And I'll use your question as that. But my goal with this series is basically to take a complex scientific nutritional strategy, method, tool, information in general, something inside the science and show you how to directly apply it inside of your transformation, your nutrition, your diet, your coaching. So it's really very much, I don't know if I'm going to call it science applied, but it really is trying to take the science and actually apply it into the real life setting. Because a lot of times there's science and there's application and there's this confusion or lack thereof a bridge between the two. And I think that's where we as a company, Boom Boom Performance, really excel and what I am really passionate about is taking the science inside of performance and bodybuilding specifically and utilizing this research in a way that's actually applicable into the real life general population. Um, That's one of my biggest goals is like, let me take these confusing topics. Let me take these advanced strategies that I love diving into and let me digress them and simplify them so people can actually understand it and adhere to it long term. Um, So I'm going to be doing these two series. So I'm basically just updating you guys um, and using this time to share my thoughts and what I'm excited about with this new series. And, And it's basically Basically, just the idea of A, taking you guys through a full program the proper way and why we do the things we do. And then B, the other video is going to be a nutrition science applied video. And we're going to alternate these week to week. So I'm really excited about these guys. Um, 
these two videos, guys. And, and if you can, please do me a favor. Go watch the training video. It just launched on Wednesday. You can head over to my YouTube or on Facebook, whichever one you'd rather watch it on. Steal the program. Try it out. Let me know how it feels. And make sure you watch the video and give me your feedback because I really want to know how I can make these better and just give you guys more value inside the videos. Now, one of the main topics I wanted to cover today, volume. Volume is a confusing topic, and there's a lot of people that go back and forth. And I know, you know, I, I know a lot of people that listen to my podcast also listen to a lot of other people's podcasts. They follow a lot of other people on Instagram. So you guys are getting a lot of information from different coaches, different perspectives. And there's a lot of different perspectives out there on volume. Um, you know, there's a lot of science gurus or like science-based, evidence-based people that say volume is the key driver to hypertrophy, which is something I've said many times. Um, so if we want to enhance muscle growth, if we want to maintain muscle while we go on a cut, um, if we want to stimulate muscle as much as possible while trying to lose fat, whatever our goal is really, if we're trying to target our muscle, volume is the key driver, right? That's what a lot of science-based people do. Then there's a lot of, I would say, anecdotal-based coaches saying that volume is not that big of a deal. You're over-glorifying it. You can build muscle, get a great body on a low-volume program, so on and so forth. And when I say anecdotal, I'm not discrediting those people. I'm just saying that they don't glorify the science. They're not like claiming to be science-based or evidence-based or worried about the evidence because they have a lot of experience, years and years, decades sometimes, and they use that over science, which I think they have every right to because at the end of the day, you can't replace anecdote, but you also can't replace science. So you got to kind of meet in the middle, and that's kind of what I try to do. However, what I believe is that there's a, there's a few things to remember here. Number one is there's no one way to do things. So you can't say that everybody should follow a low-volume program because some people should follow a low-volume program. It's very individual. And technically, if effort is matched and volume is close to equated throughout the week, it doesn't really matter if you follow a low-volume or a high-volume program. If you're doing low-rep sets – and you're lifting heavy weight, and you're pushing your body at a high effort, you're staying in that 80 to 90% max effort zone, you're probably going to build a good amount of muscle. If you are doing a high volume, so lots of reps, but you're still in that max, that sub-max effort zone, you're also going to build a lot of muscle. The difference here is simple. It's easier to hit that sub-maximal effort safely in that higher volume zone, typically, if we're talking set to set. This is why the 8 to 12 rep zone is pretty popular for volume and hypertrophy. Um, something that I really wanted to bring up on this podcast and to kind of set the record straight, I guess you could say, is, is there's a few things we need to consider here. Study after study after study after meta-analysis that looks at hundreds and hundreds, thousands and thousands of studies, whatever it is, looks into this topic and shows us, indeed, that volume is the key driver for hypertrophy. And usually in these studies, on a scale, the higher they drive volume, the more muscle growth we see. There's even studies of people going as high as 40 sets per muscle per week, which is insane. And it's showing better results, right? So we can't argue with volume being the key driver of hypertrophy because it literally is, and it shows this in studies, the reason this isn't always the best advice to follow or the best thing to grab onto and run with because you have to take it with a grain of salt is because 
a study is perfectly managed, meaning they can optimize every aspect, calories, food quality, sleep, stress management, everything. They can even decide who goes into the study and they can weed out people along the way of the study. So let's say 100 people go into this high-volume study and they realize halfway through that 50 of them are genetically ungifted or just poor, have poor genetics, therefore aren't recovering as well or handling the volume as well. And so they exit those people out of the study or those people just do not stick with the study. Those people are not in the end result, meaning at the end of the uh, study, when we show 30 to 40 sets is optimal for maximal growth, we can't use that information as part of the study. They leave that out because those people are no longer in the study, which gives us a false hope. It gives us a false reading because that is actually – I'm not saying this happened because it's hard to tell and you have to really dive into it um, and look through all the research, which is hard to do in and of itself – but that could be a huge determining factor as, as to if volume is even that great because if 50% of people fell out of the study, that shows us that only 50% of the people – of people as a whole can follow that amount of volume. Therefore, that amount of volume is only applicable to half the percentage of the population. Um, that's not a real statistic that I'm throwing out there. It's just a hypothetical thought to consider going into research period. So when you look at research, you have to take everything with a grain of salt. There's always what ifs. There's always buts. There's always exceptions to the rule. The other thing to consider here, volume drives cortisol. Training drives cortisol. The more training we do, the higher cortisol goes up. Certain people can recover and mitigate, balance, manage cortisol better than others. Certain people have a diet that is advantageous to blunting that cortisol response or managing the cortisol response because the cortisol response is good from training. We want to spike cortisol while we train. That allows us to train hard, but we want to be able to blunt that down and recover from it. Some people's diet contributes to that. Some people's diet does the opposite. Some people intermittent fast, which does the opposite. Some people have high stress in their life, which does the opposite. Some people are older. Some people are younger. Some people are doing other physical activities. Some people don't get as much sleep. There's so many external factors outside of training that either contribute to producing more cortisol or benefit us by helping us blunt that cortisol response. So to say that high volume is always the key or that 30 sets per muscle per week is the key and that's like a ton of volume, that's incorrect because every single individual is going to be able to handle that volume differently. And every single individual has a different cortisol response, has a different ability to handle that amount of cortisol. Therefore, for some people, you will have them following a high volume program and they will not be getting results. And if we chop that volume down, considerably, it drops their chronic cortisol elevation, I guess, and chronic fatigue level, and it enhances their sleep, it it lowers their stress, and it allows them to train harder in the less amount of volume that they're doing. So they have a lower amount of volume, their cortisol goes down, their recovery goes up, their performance within the smaller amount of volume they're doing goes higher, so they're training closer to failure, but still staying away from it because that's key complete failure at least, which is going to elicit better changes muscularly. We know that. Like getting close to failure but not too straight failure is a good thing to do. It's going to increase muscle growth. So for some people, we drop volume and they see insane results. So now we think, oh shit, low volume programs are better. High volume is overrated. 
we have to look at the demographic we're looking at. And a lot of people who claim that volume is not the key driver or volume isn't everything, you got to look at who they're working with. Are they working with middle-aged people who are overstressed, overworked, don't have a ton of experience in the gym, and don't have a lifestyle that contributes to doing an ungodly amount of volume? Probably. And for those people, high-volume programs is going to be a detriment, not an advantage. However, if we look at the people in studies or we look at people who are really into bodybuilding, they may have low-stress lifestyles, sleep plenty every night, are eating at maintenance or in a calorie surplus, and have plenty of time to stay in the gym. So for them, a high-volume program is great, and it's going to be the best thing for muscle growth. We have to also consider natural versus enhanced. Most enhanced people can handle that volume better because of this. Most natural people with a normal lifestyle probably can't handle that much volume because it's too much cortisol. It's too much stress production. They can't recover from it. They go into recovery debt. So there's so many factors to consider. So back to my main point of even bringing up this topic, volume, high or low, which is right? Who is right? The science guy saying high volume leads to growth. and That's what the studies say. Or the guys that have decades of experience who are saying, no, don't do that. Neither are right. you got to go in the middle. You have to understand that it's all individual. Studies are absolutely correct. We cannot argue a study. It's science. It, it's, it's gravity, right? We can't argue that. But we can say that every individual is different. And in real life, it's not as controlled as a study. A study has all variabilities, all, all things inside of a study are controlled to the study's advantage. In real life, that's, not, that's just not how it is. That's not applicable. So you have to take it with a grain of salt. Now, what we do know because of this is that volume does drive muscle growth. So we have to find the right amount of volume for an individual that's going to elicit change but not produce too much cortisol. Or it's going to produce the right amount of cortisol to give your body the stress to adapt to, but you're able to handle that cortisol. And that means one of two things. You either A, have to drop volume so you can better handle it, or B, you have to increase your lifestyle management, your recovery management, your lower your stress, uh, your external stresses in your life so you can handle that volume better. Either way, it's a balancing act. Um, And I really wanted to bring up this topic because there's just so much noise about volume being the key driver of growth. And even though it is, I think people can take it the wrong way and run too far with it and end up overtraining and not seeing any results because they're just driving themselves on the ground, creating too much stress that they cannot handle or recover from. And that's one of the biggest keys of program design. It's an art. You have to understand how to do this balancing act, which leads me perfectly, you would think I did that on purpose, into my next um, topic. Hey guys, I wanted to take a brief moment to remind you about the Boom Boom Elite, our membership site. This is literally the perfect place for you. The reason I know this is because you're listening to this podcast, and anybody who listens to this podcast is a go-getter and an action taker. You are a person who is seeking information and education to better your body, better your performance, and finally transform your physique. I know this because people listening to this podcast really just seek results. And the one way to get better results is better training programs. But not only intelligently designed programs that actually build in progressions and avoid injuries along the way, but a place that's actually going to teach you how those programs are built. See, a lot of coaches and clients alike have insecurities about what they're putting on the piece of paper. Whether you're programming for yourself or you're programming for your clients, you probably have an insecurity or a lack of confidence in the programs you are creating. You probably question yourself, are these programs actually going to work? 
am I going to get injured along the way? When a plateau happens, because it's bound to happen, what do I do? How do I adjust? How do I move through this plateau and finally start seeing results again? See, the Boom Boom Elite is not only a place to give you the programs that avoid these things and actually give you results, have built-in progressions, and make sure that you're not getting injured along the way, but it's a place that's going to educate you on how those things are actually built into the programs. So now you have longevity in your results. You can actually adhere to them because you know what the hell is going on behind the scenes. And you can start creating your own programs that actually work and you have the confidence to know that they will work. So next time you put whatever you put on the piece of paper, you and your clients are confident and feel comfortable and actually believe in the system. Not to mention they're actually going to get results, which is the reason why we do this in the first place. So because you're listening to this podcast, And because I know you're perfect for this, I wanted to take a second to just remind you about the membership site because this is the place that I spend every single day communicating with the environment, communicating with the community about training, about nutrition, about supplementation, about all the things that go inside of coaching. So if you want access to the Boom Boom Elite, click the link in the description below or go to boomboomperformance.com slash elite and sign up today. And without any further ado, let's get back onto this podcast. Uh, so I recently did – actually, this is just uh, – I, I did a poll basically like on Instagram. Ask me questions. Ask me anything. And uh, I, I went through and looked at all the questions. And this came up a couple times on there again. This came up last week. So the second to- topic I wanted to cover, which will be way shorter because it's way less complex than volume is because – volume there's just so much that we can talk about Um, and then I'm going to try if there's time left I'm going to try to run through as many of these other questions that I didn't get a chance to answer on my story on Instagram I'm going to answer as many as those as possible on uh, on here for you guys so the first one is cardio more specifically what is the best way to program cardio into your plan right we hear about you know the best way to lose fat sustainably is strength training it's diet Don't rely on cardio, so on and so forth. And I agree with that 100%. But the reality is simple. Cardio does create caloric expenditure. Cardio does improve aerobic capacity, which improves our ability to recover, which is going to improve our ability to lift and recover between reps, sets, days per week, so on and so forth. So cardio is good for us. Now, how should we approach cardio is completely different. And I just wanted to bring this question up because, you know, I get asked, like, what's the best cardio equipment? What's the best way to program cardio? What's the best intervals? Should we do high intensity, low intensity? And I would say it depends to all those things. The, I think the best modality of cardio is the best one you're going to adhere to first and foremost. I think that ideally we're blending hit and list together. So we're not just relying on one. Um, and ideally we're leaning more heavily on the list side of things for majority of people. And the reason I say that is because I think doing too much hit high intensity interval training for cardio can negatively impact your nervous system, your hormones, your metabolism, your recoverability, uh, because most likely you have other stressors in your life. Now in the short term, in the acute setting, All those things are false. I think that it creates a good stress. I think it improves your metabolism. I think it improves your recoverability. However, I do know from years and years and years of experience, if we extrapolate what one study says, this goes back to the whole thing I started talking about at the beginning. If we look at what one study says about HIT, HIT is better than LIST because the energy expenditure is greater, the metabolic enhancing effect is greater, so on and so forth. I get it. Makes sense. If we do HIT, 
nonstop for a long period of time or while in a deficit or while also doing four to five days a week of strength training, which a lot of the people listening to this podcast do, now we've put ourselves into what we call recovery debt. We've done too much stress, not enough adaptation. Now we've just pushed our body a little too far. We've done a little too much of the stress side, and we're not giving our body enough recovery time to actually recover and adapt from that stress. So I think that it's actually more advantageous for a lot of people looking for aesthetic changes to just do lists. Like I think that I say this all the time to clients, like lists is cool. <laughs> like don't go with the hit just because hit is the new latest thing that everybody's talking about. And it's been like this for years. And for some reason, like lists just fell off and like people don't like it anymore. But the reality is, is I think it's very advantageous for recovery. It's going to stimulate great caloric burn, predominantly from fat as fuel. Um, it's so low demand as far as like performance or nervous system function that you're not going to be like under recovered from it or push too hard doing lists um, unless you were doing five days of lists a week plus a big deficit like you're getting ready for competition prep, which is a completely different scenario because you know you're going down that stress rabbit hole. But for most people, I think doing lists is actually very advantageous. I personally would prefer to do four or five days of lifting and one or two days of list cardio than any hit. Um, for people who enjoy doing hit or have goals of better conditioning or don't have the time to do lists all the time, then we can go 50-50. And I think that's a good blend too. Part of the reason why I like 50-50, and this is like the main take-home point I want people to understand as far as how to program cardio better, is that cardio is something that we should be inefficient at if our goal is to burn fat. If our goal is to improve metabolic or aerobic capacity, aerobic function, we want to be efficient at it. So we want to do, let's say, a 20-minute row and get really fucking good at that 20-minute row so that we don't utilize as much fuel or oxygen during that row. Because think about it. The less oxygen demand we have, the less energy demand we have during that row, it means we're more efficient at it. It's going to be easier to do, which inherently means our performance is better. And I actually should backtrack a little bit. Rather than less oxygen demand we have during that row – the more efficiently we go through oxygen consumption, go through oxygen utilization, the basically the better we are the better we are at aerobic function, aerobic capacity, taking in oxygen, expelling oxygen, going through that aerobic process, the better we are at that, the more efficient we are, the less fuel demand we have, the better we are at cardio. This is good for sports performance. Um, and for a while, you will get shredded doing that. But if our goal is purely fat loss, we actually want to be inefficient. And Lane Norton has a really good conversation about this with, um, with the metabolism and cardio and, and caloric expenditure, so on and so forth, um, inside his book, Fat Loss Forever. I'll link that in the show notes. Fantastic fucking book. I actually already read the ebook and I just ordered the hard copy just because I want a copy on my shelf. But the essentially the idea is that if we look at the difference between a hybrid or a Ferrari, we want to be a Ferrari because we want to burn through fuel. If we burn through fuel, we burn stored fat, we burn glycogen, we can eat more, we can build more, we can burn more. Correct. If we are a hybrid, we save more, store more, use less. Not the best idea of our goal is aesthetics. So one thing that there's not a lot of studies on, actually, I don't even think there's any studies on, uh, but I've heard multiple people mention this. I actually believe Lane Norton has mentioned this too in, in one of his videos. Don't quote me on it, but um, something I've talked about for a long time and I've been practicing since, I mean, shit, uh, since I was like doing a physique show myself is changing the modality of cardios on a biweekly basis. So I will go, let's say I'm doing 30 minutes of list cardio twice a week 
for my caloric expenditure. For two to three weeks, I am going to do that on an inclined walking treadmill. Then for two to three weeks, I'm going to use the elliptical. Then for two to three weeks, I'm going to use the Stairmaster or the bike. Then for two to three weeks, I'm going to come back to that inclined treadmill. And I'm rotating these things through or maybe I do it for longer and I go five to six weeks at a time and I do one day of walking, one day of biking, and then after a while, I do one day of elliptical, one day of rowing, something along those lines. But the goal here is to be different um, and less efficient because I'm rotating these things. If I get really good at walking on the incline treadmill, my body's not gonna expel or expend as much calories in order to do that job. Therefore, I'm not gonna burn as many calories, I'm not gonna burn as much fat, I'm probably not gonna lose as much body fat as I wanted to. So. In theory, it would be advantageous to program your cardio in a way that is creating inefficiencies every time you do it. Um, as you start to get good at it, you switch it, right? And then we have to get good at it again. Um, so before we actually adapt to that process, how long does it take to adapt to that modality? We really don't know because there's no good studies on this, uh, unfortunately. Um, there should be a study where people do like caloric expenditure for eight weeks. One group does incline walking treadmill the whole eight weeks. One group does um, cycles through three different modalities every week or something like that, and we'd see a difference. Uh, but it's a theory. It's an idea. The way I like to program cardio, though, is pretty simple. If you're doing a lot of strength training and your stress is high, you should probably implement more lists. If you're doing less strength training or it's very slow bodybuilding style training and you want to do a little hit, maybe it's 50-50. If you're focused on athletic performance, you shouldn't be in a deficit anyway and you should really be prioritizing recovery and you have more room to do some hit, some conditioning protocols, so on and so forth. Um, all of these things tied in together. The goal is to create inefficiencies if your goal is fat loss and efficiency if your goal is performance. Again, it's theory, but in my practice with clients, this works really well um, and, and, it, and it just has shown to keep people recovering well, not need as many deloads throughout the year and just feel better while they go through a diet by not using a ton of hit, relying on some list to promote recovery and to promote caloric expenditure. Um, so those are kind of my thoughts on programming for cardio. At the end of the day, I think it depends too. Like the number one thing to remember is it really, really depends on what you will adhere best to. That's the first fundamental key before getting into anything else. Um, and then last but not least, like I just want to mention FIT again, shameless plug. The new program does a really good job at this. Like if there's any program of mine that I would suggest using as like a cut, especially with summer coming, I dropped it at the perfect time and I promise I didn't do that on purpose. It would be FIT because it's full body. You're going to burn a lot of calories per session, but it also has really interesting ways of implementing conditioning to improve your performance. But there's so much variety and progression throughout the, the entire eight week process inside the conditioning that your body is going to work really hard to get efficient at that cardio. So it will improve your performance as you go and it will definitely shred fat as you go. So I'm really excited about the energy systems we implemented into this program. And for that reason, I think it's a, a fantastic program for not only this question, but for fat loss. All right. So I got a, like literally like 50 questions on the Instagram. So let me try to pick a few that I think are really good. Um, and I'm just going to rapid fire these questions through. Uh, I already answered this one, but I thought it was cool. Chris Sexton underscore coaching. My man, what has been your favorite training program to follow within this past year? My answer was the athlete, which is inside the Boom Boom Elite. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But basically, this was uh, – it's a full-body program. It's very posterior chain dominant, which is why I liked it so much. There's a lot of glute and ham work. There's a lot of lat and trap work. I just enjoy training the posterior chain, and I feel really good when it's dominating my programming. Right now, it's not because I need to work on my delts in my chest, and I'm trying to build muscle. Um, so therefore, I, that's not like everything inside my programming. But 
I really enjoy doing a lot of posterior chain stuff. I just feel better. And the program is full body, so it's fast pace, and I get bored quick. So I love a fast-paced program. I love hopping from one thing to the next. Keeps my mind engaged, keeps me working, and it's really challenging, which I really enjoy. Um, it's a very dynamic program. There's a lot of um, dynamic unilateral work. There's a lot of core training. There's a lot of cool stuff, very similar to actually to FIT, which was the program I was designing to go through until I hurt my knee. Uh, but a really, really good program, very similar, a lot of posterior chain, a lot of core work and a lot of dynamic effort stuff, which I really enjoy. But he messaged me and he asked me a follow-up question and he said, what was your favorite program outside of your own? Outside of my own, I would say my favorite program uh, that I ran, I, I'm battling between two different ones, but they are both uh, Christian Thibodeau programs, which I just really enjoy Christian Thibodeau's programming. He's an artist in the industry. He's a really, really good coach. Um, I just really love his work, um, his content, his coaching, his information, his programming. Um, so I would either go with – I bought a, a power building program from him a while back, which was like an upper-lower split that I really enjoyed. And then I also love the classic that was built, made in like 2011, uh, Built for Bad Strength Circuits, where you do like five compound lifts in a circuit fashion five days a week. It's just draining on your nervous system. I created my own version of this inside the Boom Boom Elite as well called Body Armor. Um, but I just love it. I mean, it's one of those ones where you have to be in a surplus. You have to implement deloads because it's just so intense. But really, really fun program. Um This was a good one. She tried to fit it in this question, but it didn't fit. If you do a cutting for a holiday and eat intuitively whilst you are away, would you go back? And then it said dot, dot, dot. But she sent me another DM finishing question. Basically, the question was, if you do a cut for a holiday and you eat intuitively while you're away, when you come back, would you jump back into that cut immediately? Would you go to maintenance and slowly fade back into a cut? Or would you reverse from where you were at after you left the holiday back into the cut? Um, the first question is, are you still looking to lose weight? I'm guessing so because you're asking this question. I would probably jump right back into the cut. Usually if you're away for a holiday, it's no longer than two weeks at most, and you can just use that as a diet break. I have a lot of clients who have a holiday or a vacation or some kind of thing in the middle of a, a diet phase where we're going for 8 to 12 weeks, 8 to 16 weeks, whatever it is, and we'll use it as a one to two-week diet break. I say, hey, eat intuitively, focus on getting your protein in every meal so you can have some kind of boundaries. And don't drink your ass off every night if you can help it, right? Like we don't want to do too much damage. But have fun. Eat more calories. Enjoy yourself. Keep training to a minimum if, unless you enjoy training and you're like me and you want to train while you're away. Otherwise, minimum stuff. Um, and then just jump right back into the deficit. The reality is is unless you're away on holiday for eight weeks, you're not going to see any metabolic adaptations from a short vacation away. So I don't see there's, that there's any reason to go into a maintenance phase or reverse diet back in. I think you should just j jump right back up. How long would it take – okay, so that was from Mary underscore Prado on Instagram. This one is from Riri's Fit Way. How long would it take a, to see change with a new set of macro slash habits, 10 days or more? Um, this all depends on the client. Like I have clients that all adjust their macros and boom, we see weight loss that first week. I have other clients that would take three to four weeks. Um, it's all about consistency. So if it's a dramatic change in the habit or the uh, macros, most likely you will see an immediate big drop potentially for some, from some water weight, and then slower drops over the course of the next few weeks. Um, if it is a very mild drop, or it's just like a lot of times I'll take people, when they come to me, they're at maintenance, I will just keep them at maintenance calories and tweak their macros. We might not see any drop the first week, and then slowly we'll see some drops the weeks after. Um, so it really just depends. I always say 
never make an adjustment unless a full week has passed. And if you have a longer timeline, don't make an adjustment until two to three weeks have passed. Because oftentimes, and it's just hard to tell, you can't just look at a person or read their information and understand who, what type of person they are. But very often, people are just very stubborn with their body and it takes a long time for adjustments to take course. So you'll see them make progress, but it takes three weeks before their body finally adapts, shifts, and makes those progress change. You'll feel it right away, and you might look better in the mirror, you might feel better, your energy might be better, you're lifting better, whatever the change happened, it might give you a positive effect, but the scale might not change until we see that that result happen. So it really depends. And then a lot of times with um, serious biofeedback stuff, if we're really trying to improve hormones, sleep, mood, stress, neurotransmitters, those kind of things are definitely going to take three or more weeks in most cases um, because it just takes time for your body to get used to new fuel sources. Now, if you're really in the shitter, you might feel an immediate change and feel better sleep right away, but oftentimes it takes some time. Let me get a couple more from here. Uh, Jeremiah... My man just started a cut for the summer. Not sure how to follow, uh, how to train for this. Is FIT okay to follow? I've already covered this. FIT is probably my number one recommended program to jump into going into a cut. Um, these, this is like you're running down to the last hours for the sale price, guys. So I, this is the third time I've mentioned it. So I'm not going to dive into why, but I love this program for a cut. I think it's great for fat loss, but I would highly jump on it ASAP so you get the sale price because it does go up 30% after that. Riri's Fit Way has another question. Is there anything you suggest a coach to do for all their clients? Gratitude journaling? Um, wow, that's a good question. Is there anything you suggest a coach to do for all their clients? 100% educate them on the biofeedback and the process of change. I think if we are not educating our clients on all the other factors that can change over time while going through a nutrition plan or a training program, I think that they're only relying on the scale or what they see in the mirror. And sometimes that's going to lead to frustration because it's not always a fast process. But if we can teach them how to monitor, track, and see that sleep and mood and hunger and performance and weights in the gym and all these things are improving over time, they have all these other indirect correlations that show them what they're doing is successful. I think that's the number one thing. There's there's not a coach on this planet that shouldn't be giving their clients more metrics to play with. Or if they can adhere, cannot adhere to tracking those metrics, you should be tracking them for them to your best ability or at least a couple of them just so you can show them. It's so important to give your clients more than just weight on a scale. Um, I think gratitude journals are great too, though. I offer I, – I, guide my clients on journaling, meditation. There's a lot of things I implement into my coaching as well that aren't, isn't just nutrition or training, but those are what come to my mind. Um, TK525, I'm assuming you're from Fife, which is my where I went to high school. Shout out Fife Tacoma. Interesting fact. Uh, impact theory. Why uh, Tom Bilyeu, owner and CEO, creator of Quest Nutrition, is from Tacoma. We call Tacoma uh, Tactown. Tacoma, uh, Tacoma aroma because it stinks when you drive through the port of the city. That stench of Tacoma, the Tacoma aroma, just floods across the freeways and the highways and the city and everything. So it does kind of stink, and we call it the Tacoma aroma. But fun fact: Tom Billu, one of the coolest entrepreneurs that I look up to, is actually from my small town as well. Uh, but TK525 asked, "Why would one do sumo deadlifts versus regular stance?" Um, you could argue that. 
uh, more glute because you're sitting into a lower. You could also argue more quad, so maybe it's a more balanced lift. Like if you had to pick one lower body exercise to do for the rest of your life, you probably would want to go with a trap bar or a sumo deadlift because your hips sit lower, your chest stands taller, so it's possibly less vulnerable on your low back and more overall total muscles are going to be activated. You're still going to hit your lats just as good. You're still going to hit your hamstrings, possibly not as well as a conventional because your hips are a little bit lower, but you are going to hit them and you're going to hit your glutes and you're still going to hit your quads. So it's a more all-around lift, but the main reason people do choose sumo over conventional is is predominantly because a if it's more comfortable with your leverages and your torso and femur length then you're less likely to be have an injury risk and then b you're probably going to be able to lift heavier if it's a better suited lift for you and your limb length and your torso length and your leverages that's the main reason like in competition of powerlifting that's why people do it k underscore eastman do you ever take breaks from tracking? If so, when do you know it's a good time? Yes, I do. Um, usually when there's just more mental stress in my life, if I have too much stress going on and I'm just not worried about my physical composition changing, so I'm not like trying to get cut, I'm not trying to build muscle, um, I don't have like a direct goal on a short timeline and the stress of having to track outweighs the benefit of maintaining uh, or finding my maintenance calories, I just don't do it. Um, However, I think it, it, people need to take that with a grain of salt because I've been doing this stuff for eight years. So I've tracked on and off for literally eight years, more than eight years of my life. So it's very hard for me to fall off or very hard for me to not know what's being consumed on a macronutrient or a caloric level because I'm very in tune and intuitive with what I'm consuming on a day-to-day -day basis without having to measure or track food. So I think that's something to be aware of. Um, if there's ever a time to do it, I think it's A, you don't have an immediate goal. B, you have tracked for a long time and you've become well-educated to the sense where you can intuitively eat. Or C, um, you just don't give a shit and the stress outweighs the rest. Like if, if tracking stresses you out, you shouldn't be tracking. You should be focusing on other habits that are going to lead you to your result. If not being at your result, not losing enough fat, not performing as well enough, not building muscle stresses you out the most, the thought of you being so far away from your goal, then you should absolutely track because that's what's going to be the determining factor to get you to your goal. Um, but I think, you know, macros are an educational tool. So I think the biggest thing is that I think people should track until they can safely and comfortably, intuitively adhere to it. Um, and then you can just, just go on in your own. Uh, Ash White, 1987, is it okay to track macros while pregnant? And if so, is it a good, good time to build muscle? Um, it's okay to track while pregnant. I was actually just talking to a client about this today. Uh, it's okay to track while you're pregnant if it doesn't stress you out. And if so, is it a good time to build muscle? Probably not. Um, during the time of pregnancy, you should have one priority and one priority only. Raising the baby that's growing inside of you to your utmost highest potential. Um, there's nothing more important than that human's life, not building muscle, not burning fat, not the way you look, not the, not anything. Only thing that matters at that time is your health. Should you exercise? 100%. Should you eat a ton of extra food to quote unquote eat for two? I would probably say no. There's a lot of studies and research inside that whole realm that show that you really don't need as many calories. Like I know the whole thing was eat 500 extra calories a day. You don't need that much. I think studies show it's like 50 to 100 calories at first and then maybe it creeps up a little bit higher depending on the size of the baby and the growth. Uh, but it's not that much extra food. So I would probably 
find your maintenance calories, eat at your maintenance calories, um, lower training volume and intensity a little bit, but still exercise. Therefore, by doing that, your maintenance is going to be actually putting you in a small surplus and you're kind of at that perfect zone. And then I would slowly shift to intuitive eating by slowly removing how you track calories, how you track carbs and fats, maybe just start tracking protein after a while because you do need plenty of protein while you're pregnant. And then eventually you're just intuitively eating as a whole. Once you are done with pregnancy and you've had some time to recover, then you can move on to tracking macros and chasing your building muscle goal again. But until then, I think the most important thing is just eating around maintenance, exercising properly, focusing on health, sleep, and stress management to make sure that that baby is in the best possible environment. Um, And one of the best ways to do that is more on the micronutrient side. Just eat at about maintenance and really stay away from more processed foods, really focus on whole foods, really focus on nutrient-dense foods and inflammatory, anti-inflammation foods. Those kind of things are going to support the growth of that embryo so much more. So I think that's way more important. Laker Kid 2432, bulk or cut uh, if I'm 165 pounds at 15% body fat. This is the guy. Um, it depends what 15% looks on, like on you. I, I know guys that are 15% and have a six-pack, and I know guys that are 50% and have no pack. So I'm one of those guys that if I'm at 15%, I typically have like a two-pack. So for me, the best route, would I would say – cut and it also depends on how tall you are um you know because if you're 165 pounds but you're six foot tall i would say you know what you could probably recomp you just need smart training smart nutrition um we can burn fat and build muscle at the same time by putting you at maintenance or a slight surplus and just properly programming for you uh but let's say you're my height let's say because that's around my weight i'm 170 um i'm five nine And I believe last time I checked, I was 13% body fat. So for me, what I would be doing is I would be slowly gaining as much weight, which this is what I literally am doing, slowly gaining as much weight and muscle as possible. Once I hit about 15%, I am going to deload, do a maintenance phase for like two weeks. Then I'm going to go into a mini cut, let's say, for like six to eight weeks, cut as much fat as I can in a short period of time, maintaining muscle, dropping training volume. Then I will go into another maintenance phase for one to two weeks. And then that's just kind of like my transition period. And then I will go into a lean bulk again for 16 to 20 weeks until I slowly get back up to 15% body fat, repeat the process. So now I'm staying within that 10 to 15% body fat zone, which is healthy until I build enough muscle to where I feel really comfortable. Then I will do a long-term diet saying eight to 24 weeks, more like 16 to 24 weeks. Um, slowly chipping away body fat until I get to a weight and a body fat level that is more sustainable where I look pretty shredded on a regular basis because that's my ultimate goal. That's long-term thinking, um, and that's something I don't do on my own. I'm working with a coach, and this is kind of something I vocalize to him so he knows where my mind is at, and he's going to help me take through it so I don't have the biasness coming into it. But um, that's probably how I would approach it, man. Cut down to like 10 to 12, maintain, bulk, repeat. If you could do one bottle blonde 101, if you could do only one exercise for the rest of your life, what would it be? I already answered this, and the answer was curls. All right, so next, no, I'm just playing. Um, I definitely would. I mean, that that would probably be up there. That's in my top three. But I would probably pick a trap bar deadlift. It hits my quads. It hit my, hits my traps. It hits my glutes. Um, those are three muscle groups I like. There is some core involved in a deadlift. Um, I can lift heavy. I can lift high rep safely in both in both of those, way safer than a barbell, in my opinion, uh, for both low rep and high rep t- deadlifts. Um, it's more of a total body exercise than most. Um, and yeah, and I have one in my garage, so I would probably pick a trap bar deadlift, and then number two would be a curl. Uh, G21 Loria, so I think it's Gloria, but the two throws me off. 
I have reversed. DM me and let me know how I'm supposed to read that. G2 Loria. G21 Loria. I don't know. I have reversed 19 from 1,900 calories to 2,600 calories per day without gaining weight. When should I just maintain? Um, I would bring up calories. I mean, it depends on your training. It depends on your body weight. It depends on everything. But typically, you want to bring your calories up as high as you can until you start gaining a little bit of weight. Like once you start seeing like you gained a pound and that pound doesn't fluctuate back down, um, you know it's not just water weight because typically when we bump calories up, we will gain a pound or two and then it will slowly drop back to where you were at and then you do it again. Once you gain a pound or two and it does not drop back down after a week or two after the adjustment – um, I would stay there. If you gain another pound, drop back down just a little bit to your previous adjustment because that was probably more like your maintenance. Once you're at this maintenance zone, I would just maintain there for as long as you can. I mean, the longer you can maintain, the better before going into another cut or going into anything because that's just going to kind of recreate your body fat settling point, and that's a really positive thing to do. It's going to uh, remove any metabolic adaptations that may have happened in the past. Really, really good idea. Uh, but I would say a minimum of a couple months, uh, to be honest, the eight weeks, 12 weeks is ideal. 12 to, 14, 12 to 16 weeks is probably the most ideal And before you go and do anything else. That's underscore really underscore my underscore name. Importance of stretching on long-term health with strength training. I think it's dependent on the person. If somebody's super, super tight, um, it becomes more important. Obviously, you need to create flexibility. Um, I think that it's over-glorified in most scenarios. If you strength train properly with control, you're actually going through a lot of loaded stretching if you look at movement patterns that are quality bodybuilding. Um, And in those scenarios, you don't need to add any extra stretching. I think you're going to get all the benefit from that. If you're ungodly tight, you can stretch. But there's also anecdote that shows from some people get more tight from stretching and pulling on things. Um, I'm a big fan of focusing on proper nutrition, uh, proper recovery, and proper program design before even worrying about any type of stretching. However, if you want to maximize muscle growth, there was a cool study that just came out. Uh, Mass Research Review did a review on it, really cool, that actually showed some benefits to intraset stretching, which has been like a bro thing for years. I've done that for years. Uh, But stretching in between sets um, can elicit more muscle growth, which makes sense. It's damaging the tissue. The tissue regrows. Uh, The stretch phase is part of hypertrophy. It makes a lot of sense. Um, So that's another thing to consider. Like you can always do intraset stretching, um, and it's a a good way to build more muscle. Uh, And I don't know about recovery. You might be bringing more blood flow into the muscle, and that might be actually why you're building more muscle. Uh, But we want to remember we don't want to do this to an extent where it's overly painful, it's hurting our joints, tendons, ligaments, or it is causing us to drop volume. So if you're doing insane pec stretches between your bench press and it's lowering the weight you can lift, it's not advantageous compared to lifting more weight throughout those sets. So I find it useful to do after my compound in between accessory movements or just for a set or two after my compounds is done just so I can have that intraset stretching still factored in. Uh, But that's my opinion on that. All right, last one. Carmen Alessa, fruit is a good substitute to candy, but how much fructose is too much? Glucose over fructose? Question mark. Um, this I got this question today in, in our private forum as well for the elite. Uh, like, how much fruit do I recommend? I usually recommend one to two servings a day if our goal is aesthetics or body composition changes. We need to refuel and replenish our liver glycogen, so it's it's a shame or it's it's a negative thing to not have fruit every day. However, if you have three, four, five servings of fruit every day, even if it's in your macros, I believe it's just too much sugar overall. Um, and that's probably not going to lead to good body composition changes because you're well over the amount of, uh, 
liver glycogen you can actually store. And fruit is predominantly stored in the liver. Glucose is predominantly stored in the muscle cell as muscle glycogen, which is going to fuel performance and training. Now, if our liver glycogen is completely depleted, that's going to affect our nervous system, which is also going to affect our training. So it is just as important. Fruit is just as important as muscle glycogen and starches are. However, you just don't need as much because the amount of liver glycogen you can store is a little bit less. Uh, But every single night when we sleep, we deplete about 50% of our liver glycogen, which means to not have fruit is is, uh, you're doing yourself a disservice. So I always recommend one to two servings of fruit. Any more than that is kind of obnoxious. I think how much sugar should you have in a day is is a hard to quantify because it's all relative to the person their weight, their caloric intake. I've heard recommendations as like just keep it under 100, which seems like a ton. Um, I've heard recommendations as keep it under 50, which I would agree with more. Um, But then I've also heard recommendations of like percentages of the amount of carbs you're intaking, percentage of calories. There's so many different recommendations. I don't think anybody should be having candy for the most part. I think it's very obvious that processed sugar is not healthy for us. Um, And everybody else should stick to about one to two servings of fruit a day. And I think you're golden. (laughs) 